This is Uptown Films, a podcast made to elevate the cinema culture in Uptown New York. If you're looking to establish yourself in the industry, we've got stories, tips, and life lessons from filmmakers working above 125th Street. I'm Gregory Hernandez. And I'm Sophie Yu. And today we're chatting with Vivian Vasquez Irizarry and Gretchen Hildebrand, the co-directors of Decade of Fire. Vivian is an educator and activist, working towards community school partnerships, GED completion, and Puerto Rican rights. Gretchen has been making documentaries for 20 years, having started as an editor for the History Channel, the UN, and PBS, then directing social impact shorts on her own and earning an MFA in film. This week, listen in for Wes Anderson finding patterns in my wallpaper. Welcome to Uptown New York. So how are you doing this week, Greg? So I'm doing extremely well. Uh, thank you for asking, Sophie. I'm back from a staycation, so to speak, so back in the swing of things, and happy to be recording with you. Uh, how about yourself? How, about, how are you doing? Um, I got COVID on my birthday, so <laughs> I'm doing okay. We're recording it um, remotely, so if it sounds different, sorry, everybody, but uh, Greg didn't want COVID. I know Definitely not. that's a bit of a shock. You know, Greg, Greg should be able to get co- be willing to get COVID for this podcast. But um, no, I'm not that dedicated. <laughs> yeah. Um, do, you have, do you have like a lot of cake to give away? I have so were you able much to give cake. the cake away. I have so much cake. I, I made two cakes for my birthday party and then obviously got COVID, had to cancel it. I no, I nobody wants the cake. It's all everybody's like, oh, the cake is infected with COVID. Cake doesn't get COVID people get covid but anyways yeah i have so much cake and it's all uh yeah it's good cake though i have been making my way through it you know <laughs> well at any rate yeah yeah what news do you have my news okay so i want to talk about the criterion re- releases for september i am so excited um one of my favorite movies i have i have a list of a hundred favorite movies which i keep on letterboxd if any of you are letterboxd users um my letterboxd is sophie eve 88 and that's s-o-p-h-i-e-v-e-8-8 just plugging my letterbox <laughs> so you might have to explain what is Letterboxd? Yes, yes. Okay, so Letterboxd is an app um, where you can log the films that you're watching, keep a list like a watch list. You can make other lists uh, like your favorite movies, things like that. It's kind of like a social media platform, but also you you log the movies that you're watching and you get to see what your friends are watching. It is dope, and you have an extensive list, and I can't wait to dive more into your list. Um, okay, back to Criterion. So one of my favorite movies, one of my 100 favorite movies, uh, is Exotica by Adam E. Goyen. Uh, and that is getting added to the Criterion collection this month, which is so exciting. Uh, it's such a good film. It's, it's absolutely crazy. Um, there's also Sound of Metal, which is a very recent film that some of oh, you, yes. you saw it, I Greg? love that movie. Yeah. 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 It's so good. Great movie. Yeah. Um, and another iteration of Scorsese's World Cinema Project is coming out, which is amazing. If you don't know about that, um, Scorsese has a project where he um, remasters and finds and sort of brings back into the light um, films from countries that are 
you know, not generally producing films, not generally known as like making films in that country. Uh, and then, you know, Criterion puts them all into different box sets. This is the fourth box set of the World Cinema Project, and it has some great uh, films in it. Two Girls on the Street, Chess of the Wind, uh, and so many others, which is amazing. And we also have Blowout, the De Palma film, um, which is sort of like a uh almost a sister or well you know i'll say sister but greg you could say brother <laughs> um <laughs> i don't know why uh blowout is sort of like a sister film to blow up the antonioni film um antonioni's film is about a picture and blowout is about a sound recording which is so cool as a sound recorder myself you know imagine if i captured a crime on recording <laughs> <laughs> I, and if, imagine if you like were able to go back to the 1990 and uh, record a crime, and you're like, "Hey, Travolta, you want to be in a movie?" Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it was like it, it was like I mean, his career was kind of like going a little down, and you know, then it went back up after the uh, you know pre-pulp fiction. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's this week's film news. Thank you so much, Vivian and Gretchen, for joining us. And I want to start off with a nice question. Um, what movies from your childhood would you have most wanted to start? <laughs> That's hilarious. Oh, I mean, what comes to mind is Saturday Night Fever because me and uh, my peeps are my community. We dance the hustle seven days a week um and uh you know when we saw the film saturday night fever our critical lens or our crit our critique was oh my god they can't dance the hustle like we can <laughs> we could do so much better you know what is that um you know come to the south bronx and and you'll you'll see what dancing is like you know especially the hustle so I think that we all had this uh, aspiration to make our own hustle film. <laughs> That's awesome. And I, uh, I'm not from the Bronx and my childhood movie experience, like I wanted to be in every movie that I saw, basically, <laughs> um, <laughs> starting with like Disney cartoons, um, E.T. E I would, was very interested in being uh, uh, kidnapped by aliens. I was very <laughs> open to that experience. Yeah. Uh, so <laughs> pretty much any movie would have been fine with me. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. That's yeah. great. Awesome. Um, for our listeners, could you give like a quick description of Decade of Fire? And then could you maybe go into, um, how you two both started working on it? Sure. Sure. Decade of Fire is a documentary about why the South Bronx was left to burn during the 1970s. It unpacks the policy decisions that were made that left the Bronx to become neglected and abandoned over a period of 10 years or more, arguably. Um, and it also highlights the challenges that the community faced and then decided to take on and save their neighborhood. Um, it is a personal story, but a story of the community as well. It's my personal and my community story about, um, you know, discrimination, racism, survival, resistance, and um, and and justice. Yeah, 
And it really, I mean, it is, Vivian is like the protagonist um, and not so much like, it's not very, it's not entirely focused on like your story, Vivian, but I think Vivian is like the lens through which this story that's been told so often by people from, who aren't from the Bronx, <laughs> um, it's from outsiders' perspectives um, and really works to like highlight the experience of the community from within and like fight back against a lot of the like stigma and, and like myths that have been spread about places like the Bronx, you know, since the seventies. Mm -hmm. And uh, I think Vivian, you, you should start with uh, how, how it came to be. Cause that was, I came in in the, the second stage. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Yeah, um, sometimes I can get long-winded with this, so I'm going to try. <laughs> so I worked as an administrator for a nonprofit organization in the South Bronx, along with Julia Allen. Um, we started a small school in the South Bronx called the Community School for Social Justice um, at that time. It was very new. It was through um, Bill Gates Foundation funds and the idea well, the mission was to create some kind of curriculum that would introduce the new coming in ninth graders about the history of the South Bronx. And um, so that curriculum was created mostly by Julia and myself. And then um, we presented it to the principal and other leaders, and they um, did not approve the curriculum to be taught. They thought it was too radical um, and one-sided. Um, <laughs> Nevertheless, um, as we uh, developed this curriculum, Julia was very uh, kind of like, uh, she was questioning me constantly about my experiences growing up in the South Bronx and, you know, quite frankly, could not believe some of the stories that I shared with her. So she encouraged me to do some writing about it and then eventually called me and said, we have to do a film, a feature film. Uh, both she and I, we don't know how to make films. We're not filmmakers. Um, I'm a nonprofit. I was a nonprofit administrator. She's an activist. Um, and so eventually, after kind of like thinking things through, she introduced me to Gretchen. Um, <laughs> yep. And I often talk about that story because we met on like 41st Street and Broadway over coffee or something mm -hmm. one evening. Mm -hmm. And, uh, it, you know, it was just so funny because she's the filmmaker. I'm the one with the story. We sized each other up like, OK, do you think you want to go with this? I don't know. <laughs> you want to do that? I don't know. OK, well, let's try it. Yeah. And then next thing you know, Gretchen was in my life in a very meaningful way um, for years and years and years, just following me around and following uh, my family and just being a part and with the camera constantly. We began to film um, dinners that I had with some of my friends from back in the day at the in the neighborhood. I would cook dinner and then we would start talking about what it was like growing up in the South Bronx. And um, from there, we began to think about who, you know, I think that one of the salient um, ideas or talking points at that time that I gathered was that we often talk about the South Bronx. For those of us who grow up, grew up there, we often talk about the South Bronx as this great place. You know, we had a real sense of community. We played games. We had each other's back. We had so much fun you know, playing steal the bacon and all these other urban games. 
Um, yet the context was a disaster. You know, it was like, oh my God, that was crazy. That was really messed up. Mm -hmm. uh, we didn't have a chance. So sort of the, um, the polar opposites of that conversation really got me to think about how we tell a story of the, you know, of community, a love of community, and also a sense of deprivation and fight and struggle. And also, mm -hmm. just to chime in, so for the first year or so, I was I was following Vivian and a lot of people she introduced me to around. But after the first year of filming and editing, I came back. And I want to also um, explain that Julia Allen is our, we have a producing team of three, um, and she's the third one who's not here today, unfortunately. But um, so we, we kind of came to this project together and um i went back to julia and vivian and said basically like we have we have something now and it could be it could be good and i think people will get something out of it but it's not going to be it's not going to have a, like a very broad audience you know it's not going to travel very far and um but we could come in on this together as creative partners um so rather than me just going out there and doing my filmmaking thing um, that we would really be collaborators. And um, so, you know, that I feel like there was a real turning point um, there that we decided to tell the story together. And so Vivian is, is not just like the person in the film. It's also your film. Like you made it. Mm -hmm. <laughs> we made it together. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And which was a big leap mm -hmm. of faith for all of us, you know, because like Vivian explained, they, they had never made a film before. I had barely ever visited the Bronx before. I was very ignorant about many things about New York City. I had just moved to New York City, and uh, so it was a big educational experience for me, too. Yeah, and it was a big educational experience to make a film. <laughs> <laughs> for sure. No, no doubt. It, and it took us 10 years. You know, this we're talking back 2008 mm -hmm. is when this all started. Yeah. Right. Well, I mean, I think yeah. that the process that we decided to take on was uh, very much consensus driven. Mm. And so, um, mm. you know, just about every decision that had to be made was made by the three of us. And then came uh, Neda Martinez, the fourth right. partner, and we made all decisions together, probably at the very, very, at the very end, we let the editor, um, I forgot <laughs> his name. Oh, uh, Mark? Oh, uh, yeah, the consultant. The consultant, yeah. yeah. He he basically told us, look, you know, you have to cut some things, and I didn't have a choice. Right? Yeah. We didn't have a choice because we needed to get it out. Right. We had right. a premiere, and it had to get to I picture mean, lock. But yeah. um, but other than that, we just, you know, we co-authored just about the entire thing um, among the four of us. Yeah. Nice. Awesome. Uh, I want to ask, now that I didn't know it took 10 years, I Indeed. believe. Indeed. So... So to my question is, over these 10 years, over that 10-year process, what was like specifically the most rewarding part and maybe also the most difficult part? Um, <clears throat> I guess I'll start. I think the most rewarding part was actually making the film, talking with um, people from the community, um, thinking out loud, brainstorming, um, just sort of the, the whole pro the, uh, intellectual process um, that we were involved with uh, was exciting, um, trying to figure out 
how to get money for the film, trying to figure out who to talk to, what questions to ask. Um, so I think that it was sort of the, the entire process of making it was, to me, the most rewarding part. Um, the least rewarding, um, let me see if there's a least rewarding <laughs> part. I think that, um, you know, it took us a while because we at first thought that Vivian was going to be a narrator. Vivian, Vivian in, the in the third person. In the third person, right, was going to be the narrator. <laughs> and then people began to ask us, like, who is Vivian? Why does she have such a stake in the story? Um, and so we decided to uh, put Vivian a little bit more front and center and present herself in in the story. Um, and that was, that was an interesting sort of emotional process for me. Um, that wasn't the the worst part of the experience the experience is that as I as I did that and we kept getting no's from funders it, you know it it just would bother me like why isn't why aren't foundations or filmmakers or the filmmakers in the industry interested in this story this is such an important story to tell and so at some point we were getting rejected quite a bit and it was a little you oh, know yeah. it was it, a little that's, um, that's never fun painful yeah yeah, absolutely. yeah but I think that because of the strength of the four of us, we said, we're going to carry on. You know, I just remember we would send each other emails like carrying on, we move forward. Okay, let's just just yeah. go with it. Keep going. Um, so but other than that, I don't think, you know, it was hard also for me. I mean, I, I'm not gonna um, deny the learning curve of being a filmmaker. You know, there were moments when I just didn't understand things. But my team was patient enough to support me and sort of learning. Um, you know, I remember like we had a discussion and then the term dramaturg came up and I kept saying, <laughs> what is a dramaturg? I don't understand. What is that? What is that? <laughs> so sometimes there were terms that I, I, you know, I had to kind of let go and then look it up on my own and then figure out, okay, so this is what the team is talking about. But otherwise, um, yeah, yeah, I don't know if there were any really bad moments for you. Oh, I mean, it's filmmaking is a total roller coaster, you know, so it's, uh, it's all, it's n not, you know, I, I mean, it took us 10 years. There's so many reasons and all those rejections. I feel like, you know, what was also good is that we could learn from those rejections, you know, as we continue to work on the film and not let a let it kind of deter us from what our goals were. And also you get, you also get a lot of advice when you're making a film and it, some of the advice we got was pretty bad, you know? And, um, mm -hmm. and it's just, could you, could you like give a specific example oh, yeah. on yeah. like one piece of that? As <laughs> well, the, the very classic piece of advice that, uh, it was, it would became like our inner our inside joke was just like, you should get JLo to be in your film, <laughs> um, which is, yeah. you know, just not true. <laughs> we should not try and get JLo in our film uh, for many, many reasons. But it was kind of like just a sign of how the most of the people in the filmmaking community that we're talking to have no frame of reference for the Bronx. They're going to like kind of like cling to the closest piece of pop media that they can like visualize. And that's just like a sign of how disconnected, you know, the gatekeepers of the filmmaking world are from like vast portions of, you know, American audiences, <laughs> especially in places like the Bronx, places that are not like white suburbs, you know? Um, so 
I don't know. I, I mean, to me, one of the most gratifying things was to push through that. And um, eventually our film played on PBS. It had an audience of like almost 2 million people all told uh, through like broadcast and online. And I'm I'm not like so much tooting our horn as much saying like there was a real, um, there was a hunger for this kind of story that we got told so many times, like, oh, that's a local story. You should, that seems like it'll be just for people in the Bronx and nobody else is really going to care. But this is like a quintessential American story. It's the story of like what happened in every city in this country over the last like hundred years. And, um, and people want, you know, the fact that not only through the PBS broadcast, but Vivian traveled with the film to like almost a hundred different places across the country and in Puerto Rico and everywhere we went, people were just so receptive. I, I do feel like no matter how small a screening might've been, like we never had a bad screening. Like we never had a screening where people just didn't care about the film or didn't want to stay and talk about it. Um, yeah, it was, I, yeah. Yeah. I can just give one example. And this is the most extreme one. Um, Julia became our impact producer. So she set up the screenings and she sent me to Whitesburg, Kentucky. And I looked up Whitesburg, Kentucky, um, <laughs> and, you know, on Wikipedia, it was a quick search and it said like 98% white. And I thought, why are you sending me there, Julia? I don't want to go. I have to travel from yeah. there. I have to, you know, drive two hours. Oh my God, where am I going? Um, and, um, once we got there, I spent the weekend with the folks there and, you know, so um, who screened the film and they got it. They got it in such a way that stunned me. You know, they were abandoned. They were, you know, traditionally cold mining people and the government has abandoned them. And right now, um, you know, you have um, their their uh, streams are filled with rust and chemicals um, the poverty rate, housing is unattainable, unemployment is high, um, you know, the education system there is uh, lacking, and they sort of, they got the, um, the, the sense that we were left neglected and abandoned, just like you were. Yeah, that was quite fascinating. That was an interesting experience for me. Yeah. And as far as, like, the most challenging, I mean, yeah, I think <laughs> we... Uh personally the most challenging was that we kind of uh we got into a festival that agreed to premiere the film and we thought it was done and this is vivian had referred to like oh we had to finish picture lock and then we you know it turns out we weren't quite done with the film and it was like a real <laughs> stress it was very it was just a lot of work and a lot of stress and you know the first time that I had finished a feature and that any of us had finished a feature together. And it's hard. It's a lot of, you know, it's like, you don't, you don't really even know what that's like until you go through it, but uh, we made it, you know? Yeah. I imagine Gretchen lifting this boulder, you know, just <laughs> well, like feeling like, Oh my God, it's yeah. going to fall on me. <laughs> yeah. For about four months straight. Yes, yeah. definitely. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Uh, Really, really quick, as this podcast is like Uptown Films for filmmakers in the Bronx, you know, Harlem, Washington Heights, basically north of 125th Street. Um, I wanted to just really go back to two, two quick things, if you could both explain in your own words. What is an impact producer and what does picture lock mean? Mm -hmm. <laughs> go ahead, Gretchen. 
Oh, sure. <laughs> uh, uh, well, I'll do picture lock. You can do impact. How about? Okay. So, uh, in I think it's just in the, generally in the documentary world, you want to have your film make an impact to, you know, you want the film to live after people see it. You want to be able to create some kind of momentum or change. You want to see something happen. You want to make an impact. You want to have an outcome. And what we what so that our impact producer, who is Julia and uh, is, um, was, you know, an educational and housing organizer, um, came up with the idea, first of all, you know, we hit, we, we talked about gentrification in the film. So the idea was, uh, how do we uh, gift this film to organizations, especially housing justice organizations that are in the fight to, um, to, you know, resist gentrification and housing inequity. And so um, we, we decided that what we were going to do was uh, approach these organizations. And this is when, you know, Gretchen talks about um, all these screenings. We had a number of many, many community screenings across the country um, for organizations who are, were on the front lines of fighting housing justice. And um, we, we presented it to groups who are, you know, currently fighting gentrification in their or whatever what they were fighting um, in their neighborhood, using the film as a springboard to further the conversation, ev elevate, well, what does this mean for us in our community? How do we fight for the struggle to have, you know, better housing or better community services in the neighborhood? So that's, for me, that was sort of in the context of impact producing. So we produce a life after the film, or we use the film to really get it out there to help um, create some kind of, you know, what I think is what we did was we elevated the conversation around housing justice in this country. So I, I, I don't know, that was pretty long-winded, but... No, I think you mm -hmm. I think you covered it, mm -hmm. definitely. And uh, I mean, Julia is the one who could really expand because she really like built that from the ground up a lot of films there there's impact producers who kind of freelance and come onto projects at the end and um so a lot of them are trying to find like a political campaign or some kind of like bill or you know something that people can get behind um but i think that you know the the fight for housing justice in this country we we the more communities that we connected with, the more clear it was like the, the fight is very similar in all these places, but there isn't there. The, the response to the crisis that everybody's going through in this country around housing is very decentralized. It is not, I mean, I think that's also changed um, in the, you know, since we made the film, like the things like good cause eviction here in New York, um, is is you know and that the organizing around that bill and the kind of like progressive legislators who are pushing that they just uh, there weren't many people voicing those kinds of um campaigns <laughs> back back when we were making the film and like building the impact campaign so it's really cool to see that happening now and um so oh picture lock so <laughs> 
there's like several stages when you're editing your film and you I'm sure you guys know all about this um from your own project um so you you edit and you show it to people and they're like you got to change this you got to do this why don't you have this I don't can you shoot my other side that doesn't look good you know um you got to tweak and you got to work at it and make and like tell your story and then at a certain point you have to finish doing all of that and just say these are these are our edits um and once you lock the edits then you can hand the the whole thing over to a sound mixer um but you can't once you hand it to a sound mixer it's extremely expensive and time consuming to go back and change any of your picture um so you got to at some point commit to picture lock um in order to get through the finishing stages be done so that's it's kind of like the <laughs> the magic moment you can't you can't change your mind anymore although of course we totally did on certain things but yeah well i remember Gret yeah. i remember telling gretchen you know gretchen come on we could you know give it another week no nope that's it yeah oh yeah <laughs> that's it well when that we got stressful. a picture lock it was like three weeks late and we had this festival coming mm -hmm. like we had to change our sound mix date like oh <laughs> it's horrible yeah <laughs> Um, as a sound mixer myself, I can definitely say it's not only expensive and time consuming, but like the most tedious thing that you oh. will ever do Yes, <laughs> is changing yeah. something after picture lock. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. And yet I'm sure almost every film does it in some small way. <laughs> I think for us, it was like one piece of archival that I was like, no, we're going to, we're going to swap out that, you know, <laughs> you're never, you're never done. <laughs> Thank you both so, so much for um, chatting with us today. You know, I this was such a great and important conversation, um, not just about dec Decade of Fire and about the Bronx, but uh, in terms of inspiring other filmmakers to come from uptown and work uptown. Um, you know, there's so few features that have been made in and about the Bronx that you know, these conversations, just chatting about the filmmaking process are so important. Um, we have two more questions that we ask every guest that we have on. Um, so the first one I can ask, uh, what did you wish that someone had said to you when you were just starting out as a filmmaker? Don't take the rejection so hard at the beginning. <laughs> Let it go. And, and, and like Gretchen said, you know, learn from those rejections and move on. Because at the beginning, you know, um, I'm a Bronx girl. So I was like, what are they? They don't know what, the, I don't know what they're doing. <laughs> you know? um, so I think that was, I think one, yeah. And that it was going to take a while and to, you know, to take it easy. Let it, <laughs> let it go with the flow. Mm. Yeah. I would say, um, like, you're good enough. You can do this. Mm. Like, That's a good one. Gretchen. You, you got yeah. it, <laughs> you know, and like, <laughs> um, you got to believe that because it's n nobody's gonna, um, it's when you're making a film, like it's such a powerful medium. You got to, um, you really have to be ready to like, look at your film from the perspective of somebody who's just like, turning it on on the tv for like five minutes and mm -hmm. like the most kind of you you have to be ready for like the most vicious critique ever you know um mm -hmm. and uh you got to believe in yourself enough to get through that and so you know 
you're you are you're good whoever's listening you're good enough you can do this your story is important yes yeah yeah yes and we kind of touched on this earlier but what's next for you guys um would you like to talk about your next project sure so um we have been making or we uh decided that we were going to make some uh, what we call modules short films on certain topics that uh, were covered in Decade of Fire that needed more explanation. We actually uh, put out like a poll and asked people, what do you want to know more about? And so people really wanted to know, for example, more about housing organizing. And so um, uh, we made a short film about uh, those uh, organizing groups who are, you know, just kicking ass and doing a lot of great work to save housing, um, you know, starting in New York, but we went to um, Pittsburgh and saw how a community took over housing development after they were evicted, um, given a 60-day notice, um, and then um, in East L.A. And so we put that module together it's called defending your block and that's also on our website and now we're working on a film um it's called the people versus austerity and it's about how is it that when local governments um run into budget issues or debt how is it that uh the solution to it is to cut services and um, save the banks? How is it that the banks and the private sector gets to have a say in the cuts that are being made, which are usually devastating to the most vulnerable in our society, um, the poor? So we're, we're, we're looking at how that model arguably began in New York, how, what it looked like in Detroit um, in 2013 when they shut off the water for how many people? 150,000? 100, 100,000 households. Households. Yeah. Uh, were, their water was shut off um, very unjustly. And now what austerity looks like in Puerto Rico. Gretchen? That's it. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, I mean, it's, we're still making it. It's in, it's in production and, um, but we're, we're excited because it's also like looking into like, yeah, why, why is it in the first place all these places have to go into debt to pay for basic services, to pay for infrastructure and utilities that people depend on, um, you know, what kind of like investigating the, the, what are the, the base level expectations that we have of government today, which are pretty different than the, we, than they once were. <laughs> Yeah, and in like, like Decade of Fire, we want to really, um, what I call, flip the script on that it was the fault of the people. Um, you know, we, people are usually be blamed in government for um, uh, excess, um, but, we, you know, let's look deeper into why there is an excess and who has to pay, you know, who and ultimately ends up paying for that excess. I just want to thank you both for your time. I was really looking forward to this conversation and I cannot wait to get this podcast out so future filmmakers, specifically in the uptown, can learn more about Decade of Fire and, and both of you, your stories and your future projects, and hopefully um, maybe reach out and collaborate. And, you know, as a, someone from the Bronx and, and Sophie not being from uptown, we have both perspectives. Uh, so I think it's really uh, crucial. But once again, thank you for being available and thank you for a wonderful 
and informative conversation. Awesome. Thank you guys. Thanks for what you're doing. It's an exciting project. Definitely. And if anybody wants Thank to you. find out more about Decade of Fire, we, that's the name of our website. It's Decade of Fire. Um, so come check us out and uh, there's ways to watch the film on there and uh, you know, the work continues. Don't give up. <laughs> this has been Uptown Films, a podcast that elevates the cinema culture for Uptown New York City. Listen and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Follow us on Instagram at uptownfilms underscore pod. Thank you so much for listening and keep making films uptown. And this week, you should watch the 1999 film All About My Mother.